This morning, we're going to be starting this new series on the parables of Jesus. And as you can see, the title of the series is called Parables, Stories to Shake Things Up. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how Jesus uses those parables. And I really think that what we're going to see this week and over the next couple of weeks is really a timely thing for us. Because, you know, last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and now in these next six or seven weeks, we want to spend time looking at his teaching, letting, letting him speak directly to us and challenging us in the same way that he challenged uh, his original listeners. Uh, a question for you this morning as we jump into this new series is, what have you been using your time for during this quarantine season? What have you been doing with your time? Uh, I know some of you have been working. Uh, in fact, some of you have had more work uh, during this time. Uh, in, in fact, you would say you're busier now, if not uh, just as busy as you were before this all hit. Some of you are not able to work because your job uh, is not there right now, and so that's the case as well. Some of you are schooling and, and teaching, homeschooling, if you will, uh, for the first time in your life, and so I know a lot of you are spending time on that. Some of you, a few of you, have actually found yourselves with spare time on your hands, and uh, we're all jealous of you. Uh, but if you're wondering what has the Buznitz family been doing uh, during this time, I want to show you a picture here this morning. Uh, here's something that we've been spending a little bit of time on, and, and my kids are going to love this, uh, that I'm showing this picture. But we've planted a garden, actually. So we have actually sowed some seeds. Uh, we planted uh, beans, potatoes, carrots, tomatoes, zucchini, uh, a number of other different things, just all these things. And you might say, why are you doing this? Well, we're not doomsday prepping. Okay. I promise we are, uh, we just, we enjoy eating fresh produce. And I'll say this personally for me, uh, that a garden is somewhat therapeutic for me. You know, that picture you saw how therapeutic it was for me to stand there and take a picture of all those people working. It just seems great. Uh, but actually it is therapeutic for me because it reminds me of something. It reminds me that there are certain things that are out of my control certain things out of my control. So I can put a seed in the ground, I can fertilize it, I can water it, but only God can make that seed grow. And, uh, and, and I love to see that happen year after year. And I think this morning and over these next couple of weeks, that's my hope is that we see the seed of God's word begin to grow and take root in our hearts even more than it already has. You know, I asked you, what have you been doing with your time uh, during this season? Um, and I think one thing we want to think about this morning as we look at the parable of what's called the parable of the sower is that we realize that uh, the reality is that during this season, God wants us to prepare our hearts so that his word can take root and he can change us. I really believe that, that God wants to use this season to change us. And so you've heard this parable called the parable of the sower. Well, I think when you look in, in all three gospels where it's used, three of the gospels where it's used, I actually think it would be more accurate to call it the parable of the hearers uh, because it's really directed to say, how are you going to receive the message of God's word? How will you hear it? And that's the point that Jesus makes this morning. So as we jump into this parable and all the parables that we're able to cover uh, over over this season is just I would just challenge you use this season, this kind of time of uncertainty, this quarantine season as a time to cultivate and prepare your heart to really grow deeper in your walk with God. I think that's what God wants us to do. And, and we're going to look at how that unfolds today in Luke chapter eight, um, as Hannah read for us uh, so well just a little while ago. Before we do that, I want us to just think about a couple of questions. Number one, if you have your bulletin that you've printed out, you'll see the first thing we want to talk about is what is a parable? What is a parable? Now, you know, Jesus spent a lot of time teaching people and, and really a lot of the gospels record Jesus's teachings and his actions and a huge percentage of his teachings 
fall into this category called parables. And, you know, it's interesting to me, uh, Jesus could have given all of his teaching, like with lists of commands, like the Ten Commandments, or even like the law of Moses in the Old Testament where it's just rule after rule after rule. And Jesus does do some of that kind of teaching where he gives us instructions and challenges us in that way. But he spends a lot of his time on this thing called parables. And he teaches us through these stories. So what is a parable? Uh, A couple of words that we could use to describe this. Uh, Some would say it's a metaphor or a comparison or a a fable, um, an allegory, an illustration. It's it's Jesus using these stories to kind of illustrate a truth that he's trying to make. So those are all kind of words that might fit. Um, Another definition that you might use is uh, it's a fictitious saying that's picturing truth. In other words, Jesus is telling a story that's fiction. This isn't an actual event that happened, but he's telling the story to give us a picture of truth, uh, the truth that he wants us to see. So that would work. Um, but I think the simplest, uh, the simplest definition that I would give to you this morning for what a parable is, is it's a story with intent. A story with intent. And in other words, Jesus is not just kind of telling stories to entertain people. He's not telling stories to make people feel better about themselves. Um, he has carefully chosen to tell these very, these exact stories, tell them in exactly using the words that he wants to use to make a point. He has an intent uh, to make a point. And he wants to encourage people. He wants to challenge people. Uh, and he really, uh, as we're going to see, a lot of these parables really shake things up, make us see things from a different angle than, than we usually see. And so uh, that brings us to the second question, uh, just why would Jesus use parables? Why would Jesus do this? And <clears throat> I think uh, the answer to this question, I would just say, is, uh, is this, is that it's an effective and memorable method of communication for him. Uh, and we'll see, in fact, today we're going to see in this parable that we look at, this parable actually explains why Jesus uses parables. And so, um, but this idea of, of, of it being effective, um, think about uh, how many stories you remember from school days as opposed to uh, just lectures. You know, if I'm thinking about how my uh, college professors uh, taught me, I don't remember very many of their lectures where they just kind of went down the list and, and uh, you know, taught me how to learn things. But I do remember the stories they told me. You know, maybe this story about, oh, here's where in my life I experienced this when I had this time of really uh, great struggle and God opened up the Psalms. I still remember some of these stories that they told us. So it's an effective and memorable way of communicating with people. And I think Jesus chooses this as the creator of humans because he knows how our minds work. Um, He knows how our minds work. And I also think, you know, if you think about what you like to spend your time on today, um, a lot of you probably spend time watching shows, movies, things like that. You're watching stories. We are wired to hear stories and to enjoy stories. And I think the reason for that is that we are a part of a big story, a story that's much bigger than ourselves. And we are actually characters in the story. And I think we're going to see that this morning as we as we do this. What we do see with Jesus as he uses parables is that oftentimes the message he's sharing in these parables, in, in many of these parables, the message he's sharing is a message that's actually not easy to hear or that people don't really want to hear. And I think that's part of the reason why he chooses to use a story to tell this truth um, is so that they can hear it uh, without without <clears throat> without turning themselves off to it. All right, so the... The three questions, what is a parable, why use parables, and then I think the third thing here, it's not a question, but 
I think when we look at this parable, the parable of the sower, or actually the parable of the hearers, we're going to see exactly why Jesus chooses to use parables. And this is a great introduction uh, to the series on parables, because Jesus says, this is why I'm doing this. There's really one important truth, though, this morning that I think as we look at this parable of the sower, or as the parable of the hearers, uh, that I want us to walk away with. And, and that is this. Our ability to hear depends on the condition of our heart. Our ability to hear God speak to us depends on the condition of our heart. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. And, um, you know, if we think about the parables of Jesus, you know, he tells a lot of different parables. In fact, um, this is one of the few. There's only a handful of parables that occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Gospel of John actually doesn't have any parables in it. But the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a lot of parables that, that Jesus uses. And this is one of only a handful that occurs in all three. And it begins, it usually comes kind of at the beginning of those three books so that Jesus kind of explains, here is why I'm going to use parables. And I think um, the condition of our heart, really Jesus lays out for us in this parable four conditions that our heart can have. And that's what we're going to look at. And, and really those four conditions, there are three good, I mean three bad, three bad conditions. And there is one good condition. And so this is laid out as a challenge. And, and really, I think this sums up, if you read the Gospels, this sums up how people respond to Jesus. There are really kind of four ways they respond to him. And we're going to see what those four are. They respond to him and they respond to his word, uh, to his teaching in these four ways. So... Um, that's what we want to do now is just kind of jump into this parable. You've already heard it read. You, you may have heard this story uh, many, many times. But I would just encourage you this week and really from week to week, you know, these parables are well-known stories. Next week, we're going to be looking at uh, the Good Samaritan, which I think says a whole lot for us in this day and time. But you've heard these stories before. And so really do your best to try to listen to them as if it was the first time you ever heard it. Listen to it as if Jesus was sitting across the table from you, telling you this story so that he could give you some truth that you need to hear right now. And so really just try to try to hear it, like I said, as if it's the first time you've heard it with an open heart. And so this morning, as we look at these uh, different types of soil that Jesus mentions, um, uh, I would just, uh, you know, let's look at what these four conditions are. And, and the first one is this. Uh, the first condition that we see that Jesus mentions <clears throat> is a hard heart, a hard heart. So if we look at Luke chapter 8, uh, if you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 8, verse 5. It says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now, something really interesting about this parable. This is not something that Jesus does with every parable, but this one, he actually goes back. His disciples come to him and say, Lord, what does this parable mean? And he actually explains it to them. Uh, and so he clearly explains this is what's going on. He doesn't do that with all of them. Some of them are almost like puzzles, and we really have to work to try to understand what it is that Jesus is trying to get across. Um, but this one he gives an explanation. So you have the actual parable in verses 4 through 8, but then you skip down to verses 9 through 15, and you get Jesus' explanation. So if we skip down to those verses, let's look at verse 12. Uh, it says, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And so what I would call that is just a hard heart. God says the seed is thrown out there. It's like it's being thrown on a hard path. It gets trampled underfoot. The seed can't take root. It's actually taken away by the birds. Uh, and, and, and this is what happens. Um, 
You know, what's happening here is also really interesting. We need to go back to verse 10 to understand this idea of the hard heart. Verse 10 and verse 9, we'll start with verse 9. It says, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, verse 10, he said, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and in hearing they may not understand. So basically what he's saying is these people with a hard heart, this is kind of the reason I'm telling parables. And it sounds like he's saying I'm telling parables so that they don't understand what I'm trying to tell them. And that just doesn't seem to make sense in my mind. I'm like, how, why would Jesus say that I'm going to hide the truth so that people can't discover it? Why is he saying that? Um, it's a real tension in this text. Uh, but what he's doing there actually uh, in verse 10, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. I want to flip back there. Uh, if you have your Bibles, flip to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And what's happening in Isaiah 6 is <clears throat> Isaiah's been called by God. And God tells Isaiah, I want you to go and preach to my people. I want you to preach to them. And here's what's going to happen. Verse 9. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their ear, see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Okay, so that might make it even a little more puzzling because again, it sounds like God's saying, I want you to share this message, Isaiah, with these people so that they won't understand. Um, and this is where we really have to kind of look at all of scripture and say, does God really want to hide this truth from some people. And and what is going on here? What I think is happening, I think, in Isaiah 6, and also in all three of the Gospels where this is mentioned, uh, is that, that Jesus is stating the obvious, really stating the inevitable, is that some people are going to reject him. They're going to reject him. And those are the people who are described as having a hard heart. And so is it is Jesus saying that because I'm telling this story, I'm causing them to have a hard heart? Or is he saying, I'm telling these stories, and because they have a hard heart, they won't understand it? Um, and the answer, actually, I think if you look at all three Gospels, the answer is is somewhat both. One of them, if you look at Matthew, uh, Matthew tells the story of the sower and the seed, quotes Isaiah 6, just like Luke does. Uh, and then he sa- Jesus basically says, I'm using parables because these people are hard of heart. Um, and then in Luke, uh, in Mark, Mark says, I, Jesus says, I'm telling parables that these people are hard of heart. And then in Luke, it says, I'm telling parables so that these people who are hard of heart will not hear. And so there's kind of a progression there. And it's like, well, which one is right? And what you're seeing is the three different gospel authors with different perspectives, all seeing the same truth. Again, that some people are going to reject Jesus. And folks, this is, this is a scary thought. When people reject Jesus and turn their back on him, what does that mean? That means that to them, these stories are stories of judgment. It's a judgment that they can't receive this good news. They can't receive the truth. In fact, they are intentionally, in many cases, turning their back on it. So what's to us who believe a message of hope and encouragement and challenge is to them a message of judgment. And so God says, by telling these stories... Um, they're going to continue to experience what they've already chosen to experience. Uh, their heart is going to be hardened even further. Um, 
this is a hard, hard saying. Again, when you read Jesus quoting the words from Isaiah 6, you'd say, well, Jesus, couldn't you have maybe chosen something not quite so difficult, not quite so offensive? And why are you saying that these people shouldn't understand? And I think it's really him stating the obvious, that there will be people who reject him. And to them, these are just going to be stories that go in one ear and out the other. And they're like, eh. They just don't take root. They don't make any difference. Really, all of Jesus' teaching will be that way to them, not just the parables. And so the lack of seeing, the lack of hearing, it's already been accomplished. Um, And yet, here's what's interesting when you look at the prophet Isaiah. God tells him, proclaim these things and the people are going to reject you. And yet, Isaiah proclaims them anyway, right? And Jesus says, I'm going to tell parables, and I know there's going to be certain people with hard hearts who are going to reject my teaching, but I'm going to tell it anyway. And there's a part of it, both with Isaiah and with Jesus, that just the telling of these stories and the giving of this truth is him him inviting people. Even though your heart is hard right now, I'm inviting you to change your heart and come to me and embrace this truth. And some people do that. Some people, like I said, Jesus is describing those who've refused to hear him, uh, and he's proclaiming judgment of of sorts on those types of people. But what we see also, uh, I think here's, let me show you a picture of this. I I said, Jesus, the picture he gives us is of a hard path. Now this is, this is my driveway at my house, where we drive up and down every day. So this is the path. If I were to throw grass seed or vegetable seed or any kind of seed on that path, guess what? Nothing would grow. Because the birds would come and pick the the seed away. Um, the, The cars would drive over it. They'd get trampled on by people and cars and bikes and whatever else we've got at our house. Um, and so God says, when my seed falls on a hard heart, it's not going to take root. And so what I want us to realize this morning is I really think there are kind of, I would say, two kinds of hard hearts. Two kinds of hard hearts. One would be this idea of, of those who reject Jesus completely. Reject Jesus completely. Who say, I will not embrace him as my savior. I don't want to hear his teaching. Um, and really, these are the folks that we would say are not believers. They don't trust Jesus as their savior. And that's one kind of hard heart, to just completely reject Jesus and turn away from him. And God says, as a result, the gospel cannot take root in your life. The gospel cannot transform you. Jesus cannot save you if you harden your heart and won't trust him. So that's one kind of hard heart. And I would just challenge you this morning, if you fall into that category, and you for your whole life or even recently have said, I reject Jesus. I just don't think this is true. I don't embrace it. Listen to him. Listen to this as an appeal to you to say, the truth is there. I want to save you. I want to love you. Don't reject me. Don't harden your heart. You see, in Scripture, we have two things that are equally true, human responsibility and also divine sovereignty. And so, uh, in as far as whatever it depends on you, soften your heart to, to hear his word. So that's one kind of hard heart is those who reject Jesus. But then I think there's those of us maybe who know Jesus, but from time to time we find ourselves responding to him with a hard heart. And I would call this resisting Jesus. So even though we may know him, and and, and in Luke, especially in the Gospel of Luke, it seems like these first two groups of people are talking about people who maybe don't even know Jesus yet. Um, I would also say even believers can sometimes respond in this way from time to time in a way with a hard heart. In other words, you hear the teaching of God's Word. You hear a sermon. You hear a reading from Scripture, and it just goes in one ear and out the other. It doesn't take root because you don't want to pay attention to it. Maybe you even reject that truth because you don't want the discomfort it will cause. 
And so I think that's a sad thing, a scary thing. And God says, if you find your heart in this condition as a believer, what should you do? How do you soften a hard heart? And I would say number one is this. Number one is ask God for help. Ask God for help. You can't soften your own heart without help from God. And so ask Him to soften your heart. The other thing is, um, if you want to see how you can soften your heart, it says, the ones along the path of those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. And so I would just say this, don't put yourselves in a place where the devil is working. Uh, you know, Scripture tells us don't give the devil a foothold. And so uh, taking part in activities or putting yourself in settings where the devil is active and working is going to help him harden your heart and take the seed away before it can ever take root. And so those are two things I would just tell you to, to how to soften your heart. Number one, ask God for help. And then number two, be aware of where it is you're walking. Um, avoid those places where the devil's working. Um, and so that's the first condition, is the hard heart. But we want to jump now to the next condition, which is the shallow heart. The shallow heart. And you see this in verse 6. It says, And some seed fell on the rock, and it grew up, and it withered away because it had no moisture. And then down in verse 13, we see Jesus' explanation for that. It says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. So what we have here is plants that are easily uprooted. They're easily shaken loose. Um, they really don't have a root system at all. And the trials, it says when the trials of life come along, the trials reveal that they didn't even have true faith, especially for those who are not believers. Uh, it reveals that their faith was not true. So what does this mean? Um, two examples. Let me show you Let me show you a picture here. So this is in my backyard. See, since I live on a farm, I figured since this is a farming parable, I'll show you a lot of pictures from the farm this morning, okay? So this is my backyard. We've got kind of a patio area that's full of rocks. And uh, here's the funny thing. Uh, in the spring, I noticed that all these weeds started coming up through the rocks. And, and they were doing great as long as it rained. But as soon as the rain went away, which we had, I think, about two or three weeks without rain, they kind of started shriveling down and getting smaller. And here's the other thing. I have a Roundup sprayer, so that's kind of the way I handle that. I just killed them. Um, but they couldn't grow. They couldn't put down deep roots. Um, same thing is true when, uh, when I was growing up. We had this one field. Uh, it was out west of our house. And I remember there's this one side of the hill where there were actually rocks kind of sticking up through the dirt. You had to be real careful when you planted it that you didn't damage the equipment. And so I remember in a dry year, uh, you could see where the corn or soybeans, whatever it was that were growing on top of those rocks, would shrivel up. They would shrivel up. They wouldn't produce any fruit uh, because the rocks were high there. They were just beneath the surface. Um, and those plants were shallow. They were shallow. They really were not able to put down any roots. And when difficulty came, adversity came, they shriveled up and died. And I think when God talks to us about shallow growth, um, again, this idea of a shallow heart, uh, there's one kind of a shallow heart would be, again, somebody who's resisted Jesus, who says, um, oh, yeah, I kind of like the idea of Jesus, but they never really trust him. They kind of like the benefits of being associated with Jesus. Somebody who falls into this would maybe be someone who you could call a churchgoer. Somebody who feels like, yeah, I like going to church. I have friends there and it makes me feel good. But, you know, I'm not going to call myself a born-again Christian or anything. That'd be going too far. Um, and Jesus says, if you haven't placed your faith in me, then you're shallow. Your roots are shallow. In fact, they're not even there at all. And you're going to get shaken loose. 
Same thing is true with this category of the heart, though. With this type of heart, is that even believers sometimes can have shallow hearts. Shallow hearts, rocks that get in the way of your roots going deep. And so if you find yourself uh, having a shallow heart, how do you fix your shallow heart? How do you make it so the roots can go deep, even though they're being uh, running into barriers of rocks? I think the same answer here is true also. Number one, ask God for help. We have to depend on Him to shape our hearts and to allow us to grow. No growth happens apart from Jesus. Remember Jesus says in John 15 uh, that, that apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and my words will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do you fix, how do you deepen a shallow heart? Number one, ask God for help. And then I would just say this, when times of testing come up, because I think times of testing, such as maybe we're in right now, uh, they reveal what our character are, is as believers, what kind of character you have as a believer. And so uh, don't give in or don't give up when you face times of adversity and testing. Embrace that testing and recognize that God is using it to develop character. I think it's easy for your roots to hit a barrier, to hit some kind of a trial, and it feels like, okay, that's it. I just can't handle it. And you just kind of give up and, and go off on your own. Um, but Jesus tells us, um, embrace the testing. I think that's the, the believer's response to difficulty and to, the, to these uh, barriers. Don't be shallow, but let your roots go deep. Embrace that testing. Don't give up. So those are the first two conditions, the hard heart and the shallow heart. But then the third condition is what I would call the distracted heart. The distracted heart. And this is the seed that falls among the weeds. And if we're going to say the hard heart is, is a scary condition, maybe even somebody who doesn't know Jesus, um, the shallow heart is a dangerous condition, um, just being shaken loose or, or, or swayed by challenges. What I would tell you about the distracted heart is that it's a tragic condition. It's a tragic condition. Um, because what we see with a distracted heart is somebody who knows the word, who's even let the root take, the word take root in their heart, and yet uh, it doesn't produce anything. Look what it says in verse 7. Uh, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And then skip down uh, to verse 14. It says, And as for the seed which fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. They are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life. See, when we let weeds get into the garden of our heart, when we let weeds get into the garden of our heart and, and get in the way of growth, uh, it ends up looking something like this. Look at this picture. Now, this, this is not a picture of the business farm. This is a picture of Carol Flo's garden just completely overcome with weeds. Actually, it's not. I found this picture on the internet. Carol Flo, I'll show you a picture of Carol's garden here in a minute. Uh, but when you see a picture of weeds, these weeds are completely choking out the good plants. In fact, you almost can't tell where the good plants are in that picture. And so what I would ask you is, what weeds are choking you? What weeds are choking you as you take in God's word? What things are crowding out the word of God in your life? And in, and, and, Stopping it from bearing fruit. You know, there are three things that, that were mentioned. Did you hear those things that says that we are choked by the weeds of cares, riches, and pleasures? Cares, riches, and pleasures. So what are cares? We're choked by the cares of this world. Um, 
that's what, another word for worries, okay? And, and we've actually talked about worry and anxiety over the last few weeks. Um, but, you know, being, being choked by the anxieties of life. And, you know, when life is normal, when COVID, when coronavirus is not even here, we've all got a lot of anxieties and worries, right? What am I going to do for a job? How am I going to pay the bills? Uh, where are my kids going to go to school? Where are my kids going to go to college? How am I going to retire? We've got all these anxieties and things. What car am I going to drive? And all these things we worry about. And then on top of that, you throw in coronavirus. And now we've really got anxieties because that disrupts whatever plans we had. And so those things come in and can crowd out the Word of God. Because all we do is spend our time worrying and thinking about those things. Um, here's, the, here's the thing. During Jesus' day, they didn't have coronavirus, did they? They didn't have cars. They didn't have retirement things. But guess what? People still struggled with the same thing. The cares and the worries of life came in and crowded out the Word of God. And so God says to us, whether it's 2,000 years ago or in 2020, you have to see clearly that the cares and anxieties of life can actually crowd out the Word of God. And God says, don't let that happen. So is that weed choking you or distracting you? Second thing, it says they are choked by the riches, choked by, um, choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. So the riches, uh, Matthew actually says this, that they are uh, distracted by the, the deceitfulness of riches. I love that phrase, the deceitfulness of wealth. Basically, it's this thing that people chase their entire life. We can spend our entire life trying to earn more money, more than our neighbors, more than I had last year. There's, it doesn't really matter how much money you have. You always want a little bit more if you view it from the world's perspective. And God says that kind of a thing, always chasing for more money, chasing after the deceitfulness of wealth, it will trick you. Um, Proverbs says money sprouts wings and flies away, right? We've seen examples of that in the last few weeks. Money will trick you. And so if we're spending all our energy pursuing that, guess what? It crowds out the one true thing that we are called to pursue. This relationship, this friendship, this walk with Jesus. And it crowds out his word from being able to speak to us because we're spending all our time pursuing the riches of this world. And then the last thing it says is that we are choked by the pleasures of this world. Choked by the pleasures of life. And what is that talking about? Now, there's a couple things you have to realize here. There are two kinds of pleasures. Uh, two kinds of pleasures. One is the things that are that are actually wrong, evil in and of themselves. The things that are prohibited. Things like um, uh, stealing, uh, disobedience, sexual temptation. All these things that you could list off. Abusing drugs, abusing alcohol. These things that are wrong. Pursuing these things that people think give pleasure, but are actually prohibited by God. That's one kind of thing that can crowd out and stop you from growing uh, in your walk with Christ is pursuing the wrong things, being uh, uh, being sinful, basically. But there's another kind of pleasure that sometimes we don't think about, and this is where I would say it's tragic and even scary <laughs> as well, is this idea of uh, of being entertained by good things. In fact, giving ourselves to good things so much that they distract us from what's even better. And I think we all are faced with this temptation. Uh, we are all faced with this temptation. Uh, for example, some things are good. Uh, movies are good. But if you spend all your time on Netflix or watching movies, uh, guess what? That means that that is choking out the Word of God. 
Sports are good, right? But if you're so uh, wrapped up in college football or your kids' sports, that can choke out the Word of God. Whatever, you could fill in the blank. Whatever pleasure it is, if you pursue it to an excess, God says that, even though it's a gift from me, can be used by the devil to choke out the Word of God and to stop your ability and to hinder your ability to grow in your relationship with Jesus. So if you have a distracted heart, you're distracted by one of those three or distracted by all of those three, the cares, the riches, and the, and the pleasures of life, if you find those things distracting you and keeping you from spending time with Jesus, what's the solution? How do you get those out of there? How do you clean up a distracted heart? How do you pull those weeds? Well, first of all, you can probably guess what I'm going to say. First of all, you've got to ask God for help. You have to have Him. Uh, you have to depend on Him as you seek to pull those weeds and get rid of those things. Because let me tell you something. The, the enemy... Your enemy, the devil, doesn't want those things to go away. Uh, he wants to distract you from your walk with Jesus. And so ask God for help. And then I would say this. Take some time to examine yourself. Examine what it is that you're spending your time on. Examine what you're thinking about when you fall asleep at night. Examine what you're thinking about when you wake up in the morning. Um, examine yourself. What is it that could possibly be distracting me from following Jesus? If it's one of these three things that we mentioned... Um, then, like I said, work on those things. Find what Scripture says about those topics. All three of those, the cares, the riches, and the pleasures, some of those are they are going to be addressed in some of the parables that we talk about in the weeks ahead. And so hang on for that. But first of all, I think, is to ask God for help and then examine yourself and say, Lord, what is it that's growing in my heart right now that's distracting me from following you? Identify those things and then work with his help to remove those things. Remove those things. And here's the beautiful thing about the Word of God. As God says, when you remove something evil from your life, He is right there waiting to fill you with something good. And that's the seed of His Word and time with Him, this relationship with Him. So what condition is your heart in? We see we could have a hard heart, a shallow heart, or a distracted heart. Those are the first three. Those are all negative. But Jesus doesn't leave us with that. Because Jesus lays out for us the ideal. And that's the fourth condition. And that is what we would call a prepared heart. A prepared heart. This is the good soil. And what we see in this soil is that the seed that falls there not only flourishes, but it bears fruit and multiplies itself. In other words, this relationship that you can have with Jesus, this growth that you can have by, by walking with Him in His Word, um, can be multiplied to others. It's never meant to be for yourself. Again, same thing with my garden. If I plant a garden every year and I grow beautiful tomato plants, but they never produce a single tomato, you would say, what's the point? Why do that? I guess it's good for landscaping, but that's not really the purpose of that plant. And so God says this good soil that receives the Word of God and lets, lets lives grow in a healthy way, the purpose is for it to multiply and reproduce itself. So the prepared heart, verse 8. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. Uh, and then down in verse 15, it says, uh, And as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. With patience. I love those last two words, with patience. Uh, because here's the other thing a garden reminds me of every year. It doesn't matter how badly I want my tomatoes. <laughs> I have to wait until they grow 
and produce, the plant produces them. I can't force it to happen in my own time. So prepared soil, prepared hearts. What does that look like? Let me show you uh, another picture um, here of a garden. That, that right there is a prepared garden. And let me tell you, that, that actually is Carol Flo's garden, okay? Um, see how well that was prepared? I think that was probably about two or three weeks ago. And the soil is just ready for the seed to come and take root, ready for the seed to be planted and ready for it to bear fruit. And uh, one more picture. This one's not as pretty as Carol's. This is my garden a couple weeks after we planted it, where the seed has taken root. You see the plants are growing up. They're getting closer to bearing fruit. Um, and, and that's an exciting thing. So the question is this. How do you prepare your heart to bear fruit? Because that's what Jesus desires for you, is that you would have the fourth condition of the heart, a heart that's prepared to receive his word so that you can walk with him and bear fruit and multiply your faith to others. How do you do that? Number one, ask God for help. Again, if a garden, if a field, if farming teaches us anything, it's that we are dependent on God for help. So ask him for help to prepare your heart and to let his word grow in your heart. Ask God for help. And then I think the second thing I would say is this, is prepare yourself to hear. Prepare yourself to hear. And how do you do that? Again, like I said, even though some of those first three groups are not necessarily written to primarily apply to believers, I think all of us, if you follow Jesus, find your heart feeling hard sometimes. Sometimes you find your heart feeling shallow or distracted. And so prepare yourself to hear by removing those obstacles. Like we said, if you have a hard heart, um, deal with it. If you find that you have a shallow heart and you have rocks that need to be, done, need to be removed, uh, pick those rocks out one at a time. If you have weeds that are crowding out your faith, crowding out Jesus, pull those weeds. Prepare your heart so that the soil is rich and ready to be planted with the seed of God's Word. And then another thing I would just say this is love God's Word. Love God's Word. And you might say, well, I want to love it, but I'm not sure how. How do I love God's Word? How do I fall in love with God's Word? You know, there's a chapter in the Old Testament uh, the longest chapter in the Bible, I think, uh, right in the middle of Psalm, Psalm 119. Um, and that chapter is all about how the psalmist loves the Word of God. And sometimes I read through that chapter and I'm like, I just don't feel the same way the psalmist felt. I don't feel like I love God's Word like he did. How can I possibly get that kind of love? How can I grow in my hunger for God's Word and for the Word of Jesus to dwell in my heart? Um, and I would just say this, I don't have a you know a magic switch you can flip on this uh, to say if you just do this then you're going to love God's word but I think it's like any relationship you fall in love with Jesus and you fall in love with his word deeper and deeper as he speaks to you throughout all of scripture not just in the parables but all of scripture love his word spend time with him how do you fall in love with somebody you spend time with them you talk with them you let them talk to you so when it comes to God's Word, to letting it take root in your heart, to having your heart prepared, I would just say this. Read God's Word. Learn God's Word. Memorize God's Word. Meditate on the Word that you've memorized. Pray God's Word. Just be in the Word. Because um, what I think you'll find is, is, yes, sometimes it's hard work, but I think what you'll find is that the harvest that God produces in your life, the fruit that he produces is worth any effort that you have to put in uh, to, to cooperate with him as he's doing his good work. And God says, I want you to have a prepared heart so that you can bear fruit. Back to this slide. The parable of the hearers. 
Our ability to hear depends on the condition of our heart. Our ability to hear depends on the condition of our heart. So this morning, what is the condition of your heart? Where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself? I love what Jesus does in verse 8. After he tells this story, it says at the end, and, he, and some fell into good soil, grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things. As he said them, he called out. He cried out, some versions say. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this morning, I think that's what Jesus is doing. He is crying out to you, calling out to you. And saying, use your ears, hear what I'm saying, but don't just listen to it. Hearing also includes uh, letting your life be changed by it. What is the condition of your heart this, this morning? Jesus is crying out to you to hear, to listen, and let your lives be transformed by his word. And I would just challenge you that during this season, this season that we're in right now, use this season, and really any season, as a season to prepare and tend the soil of your heart so that God's word can take root in it, so that you can walk with Jesus and bear fruit in the days ahead. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to worship together this morning. God, we thank you for this parable that you have shared with us through Jesus all these years ago. And God, I pray that each individual who's heard this message this morning, God, that we would really take a look at where, what condition our heart is in. God, you would speak to us in that condition. You would heal us of the brokenness in our hearts. And God, that you would just help us to, to till the soil of our hearts so that we would bear much fruit in the days ahead. God, that's my prayer for Trinity Church. That's my prayer for every individual who's watching this right now. And God, I pray that you would walk with us one step at a time as we grow your fruit. In your name we pray. Amen.